Welcome to the Greg Bennett Show, presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and I've just recorded a wonderful conversation with one of the world's great coaches in the world of triathlon and endurance sports, and even more specifically these days in the world of strength and conditioning, Tim Crowley. And we go through his journey into becoming a a coach. Uh, He was a professional triathlete for a period of time. He still races and trains as an elite age grouper right now in his late 50s. We talk about the book he's writing, which is all about high-performance aging. Um, And then we spend a fair bit of the show actually discussing different exercises that you can do for rehab in the world of swimming, cycling, and running, and exercises to help you actually have better performances. Um, A lot of fun in this conversation. He gives us a lot of information. I think you'll truly enjoy it. We finished the show with some opinions and some rapid fire questions, which is also a lot of fun. You can find Tim also on Any Question where he's answered over 100 questions already. The amount of content that he's producing on Any Question is just absolutely wonderful. Um, And you can go to anyquestion.com forward slash coach Tim. So that's anyquestion.com forward slash coach Tim. You can find him there. You can go and sign up Any Question on iOS or Android and listen to his answers and ask him any questions you like. There's also three to 500 other experts on the platform that you can reach out to. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right, today I am joined by one of the world's greatest triathlon and strength coaches. He's been coaching triathletes since 1993 and has been a pro and elite age grouper for over 30 years. He's the head strength and conditioning coach at Monteverde Academy in Central Florida and is the owner of TC2 Coaching. He was a 2008 Team USA Olympic triathlon coach, and he has coached athletes to world championships, Ironman championships, ITU World Triathlon Series gold, duathlon world champions, numerous national championships at the elite level. And he was the 2009 USA Triathlon Elite Coach of the Year and 2007 USA Triathlon Development Coach of the Year. He's worked with the very best in the business and helped each of them just optimize themselves. And his answers on the Any Question platform have been truly outstanding. And his depth of knowledge is just absolutely remarkable. It's just an honor and privilege to have him join me today. So welcome and thank you for joining me on the Greg Bennett Show. Tim Crowley, how are you, mate? I am great. Thanks for having me. And uh, actually, before this gets lost in uh, in our conversation, I want to congratulate you and Laura. I saw she was just inducted into the uh, USAT Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. That that was... Um, thank you so much, Tim, and, and for mentioning that at the top of the show here. It was, um, you know, Laura, unlike me isn't that fond of getting pats on the back. Like she really is a very intrinsic person. She, her motivation always comes from within. And, um, but this one, when USA Triathlon reached out to her and have inducted her and we got the award night, I, I think in, in about a week or two, we're heading up to Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, it really did make her feel very, very special. You know, it was one of those where I saw her light up and was like, wow. You know, it was just that that recognition. Um, so yeah. thanks for pointing that out, mate. It's, oh, no worries. I really I, appreciate I think it's, it. It's well deserved for, you know, the, the really the body of work that, that she had done over the years. And I think once you're removed from the sport for a few years, it probably, probably is a little bit more meaningful at that point. I think it is. I think it's nice to get it after you've been retired for five to 10 years. It's kind of like, oh, somebody does care. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah I, exactly. You're not forgotten. I, I also want to, I want to throw the congrats back at you too, mate. You've been, you know, when you go through that, introduction resume that I, you know, and I only glanced over a few, a few of the items that you've been involved in. I mean, 
you've been busy. How, how does it feel when you, when you hear that sort of read back to you? Is it, how does it that make you feel? It makes me tired. You listen to someone else because I think, I think what happens is I don't rarely take time to look back yeah. you know, or, or to relive stuff. It's just like, okay, what's, you know, what's the next thing? It's almost like, you know, yeah. when you listen to Tom Brady, you say like, which is your favorite Super Bowl? It's like the next one. Yeah. <laughs> You're always looking for the next one. And then, I mean, I say, I say eventually someday I'll, I'll sit down and, and look back. And, and sometimes when I have to write these things out for like resumes or some other stuff, I occasionally will glance at and go, wow, I forgot about that one or forgot yeah. about that. But, uh, yeah. It's just, I mean, it, it, as a coach, I think what you are is your problem solver and you're just trying to do the best for your athletes. And, you know, I, I've said, it's like, you know, I don't really worry about whether people know who I am, but it's super important to me that people recognize and know the athletes that I work for. <laughs> um, and, and that's it. It's just, you know, and that's just because you're behind the scenes. I mean, yeah, I like, I, you know, it's like, you know, if to be a good coach, I think you want to, you want to be kind of behind the scenes as kind of the mad scientist doing all this stuff, because at the end of the day, if, you know, if you're doing a good job, people will find you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I agree. And, and you mentioned something there, and it seems to be a common thread amongst the guests I have on this show that um, there's this drive, the, the, this futuristic kind of determination to, to live out dreams and, and make the most out of life, you know, to really see what they can do and be. Um, and every now and then, I think the moment of just sitting back and reflecting is like, oh, okay, take a breath. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going pretty well. I've learned a lot and, you know, the, and it's, but everybody seems, you know, it's that kind of character that I have on the show. So uh, I think it's great that you've just pointed that out. Where in the world are you right now? Where are you calling in from? I am in Claremont. Oh, you're just up the road. We could have yeah. done this in yeah, person. I've been here for uh, just, just uh, 10 years now. You know, we, ah. whole family, we've been up for, you know, I grew up in Massachusetts, um, spent a lot of time up there. And then it was actually through, you know, the athletes that I was coaching. I mean, you know, you, you live through New England winters and then you come down in the winter months, you have a whole bunch of yeah. athletes either living here or based out of Claremont. And, uh, you know, you spend a couple of days to a week every month down here during the winter and you fly back and you go, why do I live here? Why am I going you back know? up? <laughs> so, so, you know, we loved the first time I came here. I, I just fell in love. You know, we, we, my, me and my wife and kids, we fell in love with it. And, uh, a small town feel, although it's growing rapidly now. And, mm. uh, but, uh, but I still love it. I mean, we're tri- it's one of the few places in the world where triathlon is mainstream. Mm. Um, you know, and everyone understands it. And it's just a really good in, in, endurance community. And, you know, the, there's a lot of sprint, you know, Olympic sprinters. Adidas has a camp here. Nike has a camp here. So it's just a, a lot of athletes around, but they're all very, uh, you know, um, very nice and, 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 you know, welcoming. And, and so it's a good place. It is. It is fantastic. And, you know, we moved to South Florida end of last year permanently. You know, we'd always come down here because Laura's family were down here and, and I've loved it. It's always been a, a great place to be, especially in those winter months. Right yes. now, as we're recording this at end of July, it, it can be brutal outside. Although I did just get back from Boston yesterday for an Any Question Team Day. And it was, it was a 35 degree day Celsius. Um, and what's yeah. that? 90, 97 or whatever Fahrenheit. It was hot and humid running along the Charles in the morning, the Charles river up there and coming back yep. here. It's not dissimilar to be honest. I, I was kind of like, it's not that. No, they get, yeah. they get bad weather. They get bad, you know, hot weather, humid weather in the summer and a lot, and a lot of places, a lot of, you know, a lot of homes don't even have central air yeah. and, uh, and they get the bad weather in the winter. So yeah, I, I harass my brother and my friends up there. It's just a, it's, it's, it's a nice thing to do. Yes. But to everybody listening up in Massachusetts and that part of the world, please understand 
it is some of the most beautiful parts of the world. Like one of my favorite things is really to go for a run along the Charles River and, and all the all the rowers are out, all the crews are rowing and you're going past all the famous boat clubs from Harvard and, you know, yeah. it, it, it is a, yeah. it's a special place. So as much as well, we're knocking it, it is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, and then when you move a little bit, you know, I live in the suburbs like out west, you know, out about 25 miles west and it's really, I tell people at Claremont, it's like it's a lot like, it's a lot like central Massachusetts where it's apple country, rolling hills except uh-huh. with palm trees and way better weather. <laughs> there you go. Now you're, you're in the process of writing a book, right? I mean, you've Correct. started, how far along is? And um, it's, an, it's on a topic that I'm very interested in, by the way, high performance aging, which we'll touch on more. So but- it is high performance aging. And um, it's really kind of, kind of came about, there was no really idea to do this other than a couple of years ago, you know, I was like 54. I was like, how do I, I still want to be competitive. How do I do this? So I started doing a lot of research and, and mm-hmm. came up with some, some different things I thought that were important that people generally aren't doing. And then I kind of had that was doing it myself. And then this past year, uh, I did a talk at USA Triathlon's Endurance Exchange on high performance aging. It's one of those things when you're out for a long bike ride, you get this really cool name that pops into your head. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I like that. I like that. So, yeah. I, so I pitched it and it went very well. But the problem, you know, it was like a 45 minute talk. But then I realized like I could only gloss over some of the stuff and I got a, a lot of really good feedback from it. So I said, hey, let me just take this outline. Let me expand upon it and then really dig into this. And, and what I use is a, um, it's a really cool platform. It's called CoachTube. Mm-hmm. It's a mix of you know, written and video. You know? and, and I think as a coach, it took me a lot of years before I started doing any writing because it's hard. To, you can't show stuff. If it's just writing, you can't, let's just say it's strength training or anything. Mm. It's really hard to show it in a picture. You know, and you're not going to have an company DVD because I don't even think they make those anymore. So I couldn't find the right format. So you could have a chapter talking about stuff and then you can create the videos, you know, which is which is really funny because it reminds me a lot like like any question in the sense, because that's kind of what it is. You've got these little, you know, two or three minute things where you can explain. Sometimes it's it's in the gym. I can do it. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, just talking or explaining using a marker board. So it really gives me a lot of freedom on that. And then the other thing I really like about the platform is that I can also make changes. So if like a couple of months from now, I come across some new information, I can go in and edit that. So people always have the updated stuff. And, mm. and again, you look at the, you know, the sport triathlon right now, I think the number is somewhere in the high fifties to 60% are, you know, kind of the, you know, in the master category. We're all becoming more self-aware in the sense of, look, if I'm in my fifties or sixties or even forties for that matter, it's kind of like, I want to just hold on to what I have and even find a little bit more if I can. Yes. And what are the areas that I need to be leaning into? I think I asked you a question actually on on the Any Question platform, which basically, look, how does somebody in their 50s, you know, maintain their mobility? And, you know, I feel myself getting tighter and, you know, (laughs) stiffer and and everything else. And you answered it very, very well. Well, I can even go a little bit further. I mean, the the biggest thing is, I mean, I think, and I I may have said this on that that answer as well, but, you know, a a little bit with people when they get older, they think like, oh, I'm I'm tight. I need flexibility. It's really the way the joints move. And so Mm. if you start kind of at the ankle and move up, it's, you know, ankle is mobility, the knee is stability. And that really guides, you know, the way you train. Mm. The thing is, it doesn't have to be a lot. I mean, I think a lot of that stuff, I build a lot of that stuff into either, uh, you know, kind of the warm up because uh, it's more dynamic stuff that you can build into the warm up of a strength routine. Um, it could easily be done before or after like a run as a two minute post, you know, pre or post, uh, you know, run routine. So the trick is keeping it simple because if it gets too involved and takes away too much stuff, then you're just not going to do it. Well, the one you showed, um, my ankles are very, very locked and it, it was both a gift and a curse for my triathlon career. I really felt the locked ankles for cycling 
were almost a great stabilizer to generate more power into the pedal. For running, it was it worked out quite well. Also for the the shorter yes. distances, but for getting to the marathons or anything longer, losing that one joint really wasn't ideal. But you gave a great example in any question of sort of okay. you, you grab the pole in front of you and you, you hopped on one leg. Oh, the ankle rock. You, yeah, yeah I, you I bend the knee I, and then you kind right. of did these little dips, and it was like ah. That was one I'm like, okay, that's one I've got to yeah. incorporate right away. I do that one before I run all the time. It's, it's so yeah. funny. It's like if, if I have any original th- ideas, I'll let you know. But I kind of steal. The great thing about the field of coaching and strength and conditioning, you can pretty much steal from everybody and tweak it and call it your own. Although what I do is I really try to give credit where it's due mm-hmm. and name you know name workouts. Actually, I even have one in my training peaks named after you because it's the, uh, although no one does 20, but the three minutes in the big gear with the one minute spin. And I think oh, you have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 20, yeah. 20 RPMs and then 20, 20 reps of that, which is totally like an hour and a half workout. But that's become a staple. I do it a lot. I have my athletes do it a lot. So I always when I, when I rename them in there, I, I always give credit. So you're, you're in my Training Peaks yeah. um, library. I think probably I, I'm probably have to reference that from me probably to even Brett Sutton, a lot of that big gear yep, work that exactly. I did. But um, thank you for mentioning me. I appreciate it, but I even have to pass that one on. <laughs> and I'm probably, he probably has to pass it on to somebody else. And that's that whole network effect. It's like, who knows where it really comes from. But the other one yeah. I loved in, um, so I'm doing, I do a lot of pull-ups and chin-ups mm-hmm. and push-ups, like very much body weight work and just, um, I just enjoy them, to be honest. It's probably more vanity than it is anything else. And just <laughs> and, and just trying to be able to lift the kids and that kind of things. And uh, you, you have a really good answer in any question as well where I think somebody asked you, you know, they, they've been getting to 10 pull-ups, but then they kind of go back to eight pull-ups and they can't advance. And right. uh, so this is a very selfish conversation I'm having right now with you because it's, it's an area that I kind of enjoy. And, and I loved your answer there. Uh, maybe I'll let you expand on a little bit more, but the different ways that we can kind of, if you find yourself in one place and not improving, you know, and when it came to pull-ups, it was like, you know, you can slowly lower yourself down or you can do all sorts of different, you know, do smaller reps, you know, five or six at a time and do multiples of 10 to 20 of those or whatever sets of those. I appreciated that kind of answer and that's kind of what I included into my own training. Okay, yeah, because those are simple. I mean, it depends if people have equipment, but like just doing an eccentric, slowly lowering yourself down, you know, not just dropping down, will build strength. Mm. Um, And then also doing the three, you know, basically doing a hold, an isometric hold at the top, the middle and the bottom. And the brain is really good at kind of connecting the, you know, the three points. Yeah. Um, and then the third one was using, um, you know, the resistant bands. And depending on the thickness of the band will dictate how much help you're going to get, certainly at the bottom of the, of the um, you know, the rep. So you can use those just a progressive overload because otherwise with pull-ups, it either becomes an all or nothing. You can or you can't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then when you get really good at it, you can then start to add external load, whether it's holding a dumbbell or a med ball between your knees or putting a band around your waist anchor to the floor. So you got a lot of room for progress. I, I put the chain around my neck, Tim. <laughs> the thing, you go. I got that one from that the rock. Put the chain <laughs> around my neck. Or that it, I did hurt my, my back a little bit, my upper thoracic. I think I was um, probably, I, I went too far with that one. Yeah. <laughs> and I honestly, I'm, I'm being a bit silly because I'm not actually training for anything other than just health and movement and strength and in the basics, you know, um, uh, these days. And so I I have a little bit of fun with it. The other one I kind of enjoy is the kind of get to the point of 30 seconds up, 30 seconds down. And I do that one at the end of most workouts and that really hurts. You're shaking by the end of it. But the amount of strength I feel from that is pretty cool. 
Let's do this. And I know you've probably, you've listened, you told me before the show that you've actually listened to a few episodes. So you would have heard me sort of do this. And this is this time where I like to rewind the clock. Um, and it gives me a chance to really get to know who you are and have the listeners understand who you are. And um, so I'd love to just get a little bit of a recap of your journey to date and understand when did you sort of your passion come for, well, firstly, endurance sports in the world of triathlon, but then also the second part to that is, you know, this world of strength and conditioning. Yeah, it kind of, it, it, it's kind of, it's like a lot of things when I look back, I think like a lot of things kind of happened by accident. It was no grand plan, but <laughs> you know, I went to school, so I was a, you know, a soccer player through high school and college. And I went to school for, uh, you know, athletic training and sports medicine. Mm. But I kept seeing, even when I was in college, I kept looking at like, well, we have kids that are losing, ending their career because they weren't doing certain things. But if the things we do in rehab that we kind of did them on the front end, this is back in the you know kind of late '80s, so we were still using like Nautilus machines and stuff. So it was, everything was is really mm-hmm. kind of a good a good time to get into that. So I wanted to be on the front end of that. And then I, you know, once I graduated, you know, finished college, I got into triathlon right away. I just like, I'm, I'm too young to be a retired athlete at 21. Mm-hmm. So I still wanted to be competitive. And that was, you know, those were the days, those were the wild West days where there was, there was no internet. I mean, when I started racing, we'd had no, no clipless pedals, no bike computers. So <laughs> you, you, and both, mate. you and me both. <laughs> yeah. You, oh, you see, you, you understand. Like, it was, I, I kind of wish we, I kind of love those days because you just try to figure it out. You would, yeah, yeah. You know, you'd read the magazines when they come out to get some semblance. So you just try to figure it out by trial and error. Yeah, yeah. And I really love that. And I, and I continue to have that now. I love experimenting with stuff, trying to figure it out because, you know, like I always think like one of my favorite questions is, you know, what if the way we always did it was wrong? Mm-hmm. And I think that goes back to like having confidence and stuff. And when you're you know younger as a coach, everyone's doing things a certain way. And you're like, you're thinking differently and you're going, this makes obvious sense. It should be done differently. But you're like, I must be wrong because everybody else is saying this. Mm-hmm. And at some point you realize if we're going to, if I'm going to get better, make my athletes better, we can't just do it. If you do what everyone else is doing, you get the same results. So mm-hmm. you start looking at it differently. And then, you know, all of a sudden you start to see some success with that. And then you start to be, you know, believe in yourself, you know, and trust in that. And, you know, I've always worked, even when I, I always say, I was like, you know, I got my pro license when I was 22. I, I might be the worst pro ever, but that was my, my lifelong goal was to be a professional athlete, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, it allowed me to race all, all over the world. Uh, it helped. And I think it's really helped me as a coach because you got to see everything firsthand, try stuff firsthand. And, and it's probably still why I still compete now because you still have to have your hand in it. You still got to be uh, kind of experimenting with stuff and trying to figure it out. And that's probably the part I love most. I think there's something about that, that kind of self-experimentation where you learn so much. Um, you would know Dr. Dan Plews, who's been on this yep. show. Yep. And, this um, yep. you know, one of the things that I've always admired with him is a bit like you. It's like, yeah, it's one thing to tell everybody what to do, but it's also nice to self-experiment and really get a sense of feel. And I'm not saying every coach has to do this by, by right. of course, but it is interesting that it is a way to do it, to, to go, does this work? And how does it feel on me? And what's it likely going to feel like on one of my athletes? It's very cool. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, and, and what it is, I think we owe that, you know, I, I think I owe it to my athletes. Like you can't make them the first guinea pig. So I'll try something out and like, <laughs> you learn something, try it out and you're like, oh my God, that worked. That didn't, that did not work well. That was bad. Yeah. And then by doing it, you can now figure out, you know, the progressions and the regressions and then, oh, this is going to be good for someone here. Otherwise you're not just messing people up. And then from that one concept, you can probably come up with 10 different workouts and progressions. And mm-hmm. I just, I just find that the, I still love that the most fun, fun part of doing this. That's very cool. And so when did you um, sort of, you know, you, you were focused on being an athlete, even though you had your education behind you, when was that sort of 
change to becoming an athlete to a coach and focusing more on that? Um, it just happened naturally. I mean, I was working in the private sector and it was racing and competing and doing well. And I had a few people, you know, that were, um, you know, going to compete in Ironmans. And so, you know, they kind of, they hired me. Mm. Um, so I started doing that for a bit. It was just doing that on the side a little bit. And then, you know, I realized, okay, I want to take this to another level. And, you know, that was a point where, you know, I went and did my USAT uh, coaching certification. And then, uh, you know, at that point, Scott Schitzbahn was actually running it, but Scott was actually the first triathlon coach at Carmichael Training Systems. Mm. So I mm. talked to him. And so I worked with them from, it was like me and him were the first two triathlon coaches from like 2000 to, I want to say 2007. Mm-hmm. And that was a great experience because, I mean, that was when Lance, Lance Watson was yeah, there. Yeah. It was a great experience to learn from a lot of people. So that was fantastic. And then at that point, it kind of was a good time to launch off, you know, kind of on my own because I had some ideas and doing some things differently. And uh, that's kind of what I've been doing since. Chris Carmichael, you know, I got, I had, I remember having a dinner with him back in about 2002. And this is when Lance, you know, Lance Armstrong yeah. was crushing it. And, and then I remember um, Lance Watson, who was sort of my consultant slash coach during that time, he he was then he ended up working with him very early on, and they started yeah. branching out with this triathlon arm. And then I remember, yeah, that Scott and yourself joined in to that group. When did you realize? I mean, it's one thing to go into the coaching, but was there a moment where you thought, actually, I'm actually pretty good at it? Like there was without yeah, it's funny. patting yourself on the back too said much. That. I was actually thinking about that like yeah. about an hour ago. And then I, I can I can remember it vividly. You're doing this coaching and, you know, you, you've got some, uh, you know, some decent pro athletes that, you know, good pro athletes that have hired you and you want to do them justice. So yeah, I could, it was Ironman Arizona. I'm trying to think of what year it was. I want to say early 2000s, but it was when I was working with, um, with Heather Goldnick and, you know, she came in a very, very, she had won Ironman Wisconsin. And then I started, you know, working with her and she had some really big wins, but she came in a really, really close second place to McKeeley Jones there. Mm-hmm. And I distinctly remember getting on the plane in Arizona and flying back and looking out the window and going, oh, all right, maybe I can do this. Because sometimes we can always think, I can do this, but can you? Mm. You know, can you do it? And um, and that and that kind of was the start of it. And, and a lot of it just kind of happened, you know, um, you know, organically, it's like word of mouth and, you know, people are talking to other people and you get a phone call and, you know, do you want to work and, you know, just trying to find the right people and just try to, you know, think of, can you help this person? Can you take them? And for me, I mean, some of the best, most fun stuff is taking, uh, you know, if it's fortunate, take a couple athletes from very, very, you know, never done a triathlon before and either be, you know, becoming a, a good pro or, or, you know, being on the podium at us, you know, pro nationals and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And mm-hmm. I always said like, you know, when you get really high level athletes, yeah, the goal is they're already good. Just don't screw them up. Yeah. Um, but can you <laughs> develop them? It's true. No, I mean, Some hey, of it's just I, keep I, out I, of the I way, say right? With basket, yeah. I say that with the basketball players I work with, it's like, I didn't make any of these guys, you know, top NBA players, but I can guarantee you I screwed none of them up in the process. That's right. <laughs> they made no. it. So I did something right. I didn't get in that's their exactly. way or maybe I helped. I don't know. But I mean, I mean, that's where I think a great coach gets to the point that they don't, I mean, you mentioned earlier in the show where it's like, you're not after the recognition. It, it's, it is just about trying to help other people get to where they need to get to. And I think that's, um, I think that's pretty huge for, for you and, and the other coaches that come on board and, and say, hey, it's not about me and I don't need the credit. I just right. don't want to screw you up. I like that. So what have been, I mean, as we talk about your career, mm-hmm. is there any kind of moments that really stand out, some really great highs? Uh, I'd, I'd have to say it was, you know, uh, was at Charlotte Motor Speedway Duathlon World Championships when uh, I think it was, two, it was 2009 when Jared, um, you know, Jared Shoemaker won in a sprint finish. And, and like, a, like an idiot, I was like at the last corner, which was maybe 300 meters from the finish and it was like three guys in a sprint finish 
And somehow I was at the corner. I told him, I'll be at the corner. I'll let you know how far, you know, you're in front. If you're in front, how far the next guy is. So you don't have to look over your shoulder. Go, okay. So he comes in and he had like two steps. So he comes, I'm like, he got 10 feet. And then there's literally a 300 meter sprint finish. And for some unknown reason, I decided I was going to try to sprint to the finish and catch them. God knows I didn't make it in time. Um, but I was just too excited. But like, I'm, I'm running down behind the barriers, pumping my fist and stuff like that. And, you know, to, to be there when you have an athlete win a world championship and, you know, they're spraying the champagne and stuff. I mean, you know, the, our athletes travel all over the place. So to be in that moment at that point in time and, and, and just enjoy that moment, I, that, that one's always stuck with me. Oh, huge congrats to you and Jared. I'm a big fan of sometimes just reminiscing and going, that was a special moment. Yeah. Even when you get to retell it and I can picture it, you know, I love when people tell stories and you can picture the joy and the feelings that, you know, it takes a lot of work to get to the point well, where you're a world champion, you know, it's like, it's, yeah. it's an incredible moment. Everything has to happen. And as you know, there's just as many lows too. So you got to enjoy the good ones. My, my, <laughs> that's, it's funny you mentioned that. I, and I've said this on the podcast before where when a young, you know, new professional triathlete will come to me and say, you know, Greg, you know, what can you tell me? You know, and I'm like, well... I can tell you that basically you're going to lose far, 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 far more yeah. than you're ever going to win. But the joy of winning is so much better, 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 better. The more you yeah, lose. Yeah, you almost have to have, you don't appreciate it. You have to have both because, yeah, you, you, know, you can say, like, we're the top three best. You know, and actually, maybe, like, we're the top two best and we're the f- top five worst because they seem to be a little bit more because so much has to go into it for it to come off. Yeah, and look, I've had, I've had guests on this show where they were – so talented as juniors and youth and under 23s and and they were winning everything that they'd actually never really lost and yeah. finally they got to maybe the senior level and they weren't winning and that because they'd never had it that ability to understand losing and what you can learn from it and how you can grow from it they really struggled yeah. you know mentally and then obviously physically because it was like trying to overreach oh. and there's such a process in becoming a great champion that the not accepting losing, but learning from it. It's just so critical to really embracing the wins when they do come that you never take them for granted. You were still racing when they came out with a WTS series, right? Back in, was it 2009? Yeah, I, um, I did maybe one or two of them. For me, it was just a name change. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know what? That's trying to figure, I just, I vividly remember all that because especially when you're American, like it races in the summer, like every other week. That's where I learned about, you know, how to study stuff like jet lag and everything yeah, else. Because yeah. do you set up a camp? Do you fly back and forth? It's now a series, not just the World Cups where it's, you know, a bunch of one-off races. Now it's a series that matters. Mm, and mm. that was a whole, you know, that's a huge, it was a huge, fast learning curve. Well, that's just part of it, isn't it? It's like suddenly, I mean, we would always, as Australians, it was, we always had half the year in Australia where, and we do our Australian races and, and Asian races. And then we would go off to Europe right. and often circle back through the US, you know, and, and finish off a few more. And, and you get 15 to 20 races around the world. And uh, so for me personally, I was always based in Europe, whether it was Czech Republic, France, Germany, um, yeah. or Britain, and, and or Spain, actually. So I've lived in all of those places for three to six months. And that was always, for an Australian, it was quite easy to do that. As Americans and US, I always, there was never enough ITU-type racing, the World Triathlon Series racing, here. And so they basically had to yeah. be in Europe for the summer, which was the same as the North American summer. And then they had to be, you know, go to Australia or whatever. And so they were never home. 
Whereas Australians, we got to be one or the other and Europeans get to be one or the other. And that was always a disadvantage, I felt, a little bit for the Americans. You'd have a couple of races in Canada, like Edmonton and, um, you know, that. But for me, I always thought that was a little bit, I mean, people always want to beat up on why aren't the American men haven't done better and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, there's there's plenty of reasons. And one is that the international racing is not here. And right. so for 12 months of the year, they got to be gone. It's awful. It's awful. I mean, I spent a lot of time going over there and doing that too. And, you know, the nomadic lifestyle, I'm like, that's not for me. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know, it gets tiring. A lot of the athletes, it's not either. No. I mean, they like to have a home base. It gets tiring. And, you know, yes. for Laura and I, it was really just, I remember when we sat down, we said, look, we just need two home bases. And one of them would be Noosa, Australia. And Australia would be more about training than it was racing. We'd race right towards the end um, mm-hmm. and they'd be more pre-season races like Malulabar and anything else sort of there. And then we'd come over to the US and we'd race a race like St. Anthony's yep. or we'd live in Canada but, or we'd go to Europe. But one of those North American bases, we'd have to do that and just create those two homes and that's it. And yep. for Laura, it was difficult because... You know, by 2007, I started moving away from the ITU racing, which was predominantly in Europe and was focused now on the big racing in the US, which was non-drafting and different style of racing. And But Laura right. was still focused on the Olympics and the ITU series. And so for her, it became a lot of travel and she really did sacrifice a lot of her career for me and, and our relationship and something I, I don't, you know, take lightly. It was something very, very special that she was willing to sacrifice so much for her career to do that. Cause it is a lot of travel. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. I mean, if you, I guess if you, if you, but even if you like travel, it's just, you know, traveling no, no. with bikes and you're, <laughs> you're going here, there and everywhere. It's like, this is, you know, you, you know, you're traveling too much when you wake up in the middle of the night and can't figure out what country you're in. Oh, well, which I, I've been into so many hotels where I'm just walking down the corridor going, I have no idea what my, I thought I was in 219, but that was last week. I mean, <laughs> I'm on the wrong floor. Like it's like I'm completely turned around. So mate, you, that, that high is fantastic. Some of the, the bigger lows and the lessons that you've learned from them and, and how have they oh, transformed who you are? Yeah. The biggest, the, 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 the one that really is the, the top one and is, uh, you know, the 2000, 2012, um, uh, the final, you know, U.S. Olympic qualifier. I mean, at that point, for the previous four years, you know, working with Jared, he was like in the top 10. He had you know, a lot of top 10, top five finishes. He won Hamburg. I mean, mm. there was literally a one in a thousand chance that he wouldn't qualify based upon the qualifications. And uh, and that happened. You know, a lot of the Europeans didn't come over. You know, there's a lot of situations that had to happen. And the weirdest situation happened. And like, he'd been you know, you know, the feeling of this, you, you would, you know, basically putting, you know, four years, you know, into that one, one thing. And like, you know, we were thinking, Hey, maybe you got a shot at a medal you know, with the qualifying, you know, shouldn't have been an issue. And, and then all of a sudden you're, you're not, you know, you didn't go anywhere. And, mm. um, so that was tough in, in the fence of like, is that the end of my coaching career? You know, and then you realize the rest of the world doesn't matter that much, mm-hmm. you know, life goes on. And I think mm-hmm. that was a really, a really good lesson. And then the hindsight is I, I look, the funny thing is I look back at that. That was the low of the low, but if he had qualified in, in that event and went to London and I went to London, we would have never moved to Claremont. Mm. And so that was kind of a life changing stuff for us. And the funny thing is, well, you know, Jared and Alicia live here and, and actually, you know, I, I still work with both of them in strength, you know, st- with their strength training and stuff, uh, you know, now in their retirement. So it's strange how, what, you know, we think is a, a really low point, is kind of disguised as something that maybe in the long run wasn't that bad after all. Oh, Although many, at the time it was really bad. No. How many times does that happen in life? I, 
I, um, I don't want to make this show about all about me either, but I have that same sort of story around the 2000 Olympics where, you know, I was number two in the world. I'd won on the Sydney test event the year before. It was a course and I'd been podium there for the four years previous. And, and it was like, yeah, it wasn't so much even like, yeah, I'm, make, I'm pretty confident I'll make the Australian team, but how well can I actually do at the Olympic Games was the focus. And, right. and right. then to be left off that team, and that's a whole nother story. But I remember it. I moved to Canada and to help Simon Whitfield pre- prepare. And in the process, yeah. I meet Laura, previously Laura Reback, oh, <laughs> now Laura Bennett, on that same camp. Yeah. And yeah. boom, we, we were together. And, uh, you know, so I had my best mate go and win the Olympic gold. And I, and I you know, met the love of my life in that same – and it was – it was like, wow. You know what I mean? It was like my See, life there's turned. A, there's a lesson there. Oh, it's huge. It, it really <laughs> is like, I don't know. And I think that helps. And with age, you know, you and I, we can reflect a little bit more on those things. And so when we are in tough uh, moments in your life right now, it's like this actually could be the thing that you needed to make the big change for the better, yeah. you know? No, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I'm a big fan of you know, basically growth mindset, neutral thinking, mm, you know, and not like getting that. wallowed down, you know, what's, you know, what, what's next, what do I do next? What's the next step in this? And not, you know, and to get, not get wallowed down in that, and, and, you know, basically being, you know, a growth mindset is just really always trying, you know, trying to get better. And I saw this quote the other day, I was like, it's not about being the best. It's about being the best at getting better. I think that resonates a lot with coaches. It's just a matter of how do we get better? Because as soon everything evolves so quickly, as soon as you, if you can think you've got it figured out, you're already moving backwards. Yeah. Oh, what a fantastic quote. I really like that. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll steal it from you, but I'm, yeah. I'll ref, refer to you. But that's what I, I, don't, I don't even remember where I saw it, but I just <laughs> liked it. I'm like, I'm like, I couldn't remember the person, but I remember the quote. Yeah, no, but I love that growth mindset and, and getting yourself to neutral myself. You know, they're things I talk about often on, on this show, but and, and have to keep reminding myself because it's a constant work in progress. I'm far from perfect by any means. But, um, <laughs> and, and look, tell me, you, you're coaching philosophies, you know, is yeah. there kind of a, a coach or somebody that really stood out to you that you learned, you felt like you learned the most from, or has it been mainly books and courses? How, how have you sort of learned your... All the above. I mean, I've yeah. learned a lot. I mean, I think, you know, obviously I've, I think I've read in my library, I've got every, you know, triathlon, biking, running, swimming, strength training book ever. You know, I try to make it a habit. I've been doing this for 30 years of reading a minimum of 30 to 60 minutes every day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I get a lot of reading in. But what I also do is, you know, I've been fortunate enough to a lot of these, you know, authors, these books, you know, actually reach out and become friends with a lot of them to be able to talk with them. You know, when I was traveling the, uh, you know, the ITU circuit, you know, people like Darren Smith, people who would just mm. be willing to sit down and talk to me. And I always find this great. I mean, my philosophy is like, if I'm going to be in a room of coaches, I pray to God I'm the dumbest one in there because I have the most to learn, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you just want to be able to learn. And again, I think you have to have a bunch of humility in there too. It's just like, you know, you just gotta, you want to learn and, and, and ask people questions. And it's yeah. funny how, how, how really open people really are if you just ask. Oh, absolutely. Isn't it amazing? I find that <laughs> I couldn't agree more that people actually are quite happy to share. Yeah. And then even if you feel like you share everything, people always think you've got more to share anyway. So you might as well just keep sharing and it gets you out there. And the, the other day we had all, well, most of the, the strength coaches we have on the Any Question platform and we were all mm-hmm. on one Zoom call and you were there. Yep. And, um, Gee, it was special to just look around that Zoom call at a dozen or so of the greatest 
strength coaches in the world. And everybody went around the room introducing themselves. It was NBA, NHL, you know, endurance sports or whatever. And everybody had a background that was phenomenal. And that to me was pretty cool just to be on that call and be surrounded by greatness. Uh, it was really oh, special. I wholeheartedly agree. And when I look at all those people, see, that's, I say, there's, there's a certain case for imposter syndrome when you have all those people in a room <laughs> and you're going, oh crap. I, I think I probably pulled up my resume and read it after that. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. Okay. We, we all do that going, hang on, <laughs> what, am, what am I doing here? What? No, yeah, not at exactly. all. Not at all. I, I think it, it's fantastic that you were then, look, talking about strength training, because because um, you've answered a lot of questions on any question. And it really is anybody listening to this should just go check out uh, Tim Crowley's profile on any question. Just go through all your answers. There's so much knowledge there. It really is. You're just, you're so generous and thoughtful with everything you share. And, and so I'd love to sort of just right now almost go through some of the topics and things that you've talked about already on any question, sure. but just sort of bring them onto the yeah. show a little bit. And one of the questions, and I'm not directly quoting the questions, but it was um, really just understanding why is strength training important for endurance athletes? Um, oh. And is it all about injury, injury reduction or injury, you know, helping people come back from injury or is it all about performance? I'll give you three things. Yeah, I always say, my, it's kind of my patent when people ask me that question, like three things. One, you want to do the things because if you think of swimming, biking and running, they're all cyclical. So they'll use some muscle groups you know, to the detriment of others. You know, let's take mm, the mm. Your typical swimmer's posture type thing, shoulders rounded forward. So the first thing is creating muscle balance and doing the things that you need to do to keep you out there in training. Mm. I always say from a performance standpoint, that's hugely important because if you can train consistently, you're probably going to get better. Mm. From a business standpoint as a coach, if you've got people that are injured, what are they paying you for? To be hurt? So it works on both sides of there. Uh, the second thing is is the performance side of it. It doesn't need to be long. And the problem is, you know, when you see with endurance, people just float the term strength training. And I'm like, what's that? That can range anywhere from powerlifting, Olympic lifting, CrossFit, you name it. So what is the correct, you know, correct stuff? Depends on people's injury history. Depends on their, their background. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we're not trying to make people, because people think, oh, I'm going to get bigger. Most endurance athletes are not. If they have a propensity for that. They probably already look like that. They came from a, a rowing or a football background and got into endurance sports later in life. So you got to be careful from there. Mm. The easiest way to explain it is, is, is triathlon or endurance sports in general, they're power endurance sports. Mm. And to have power, we need strength. And again, I, I saw this somewhere long ago and I've always remembered the best way to explaining, you know, for that people, no, it's an aerobic sport. I'm like, no, the muscles and the levers drive, drive us forward. And the way to explain that is like, if you've got two identical twins and they're both going to run a marathon, okay, um, the definition of power is force times distance divided by time. So we've got our two twins and they weigh the same. They're, you know, the force, their stress on landing on the ground is going to be equal for the whole marathon. The distance is 26.2. So one runs, you know, five minutes faster than the other. And then when they ran five minutes faster, if you plug that into the equation is divided by time. So they're technically more powerful. Mm. So we need to make, so we need to have strength to create power and, and people equate strength with size. And that's not, you know, that's not necessarily true. And some of the stuff we're, I'm working on now is like, you know, in our lower body, if we're doing like a barbell uh, type of split squat, like, and, you know, running, I say, which I, I don't have any original ideas. The only original idea maybe I have is cycling angles and running angles, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and psych, a running angle is basically would be like, say, a, a split squat do go into like 45 degrees or so because you can use a lot more load. But when we're running with, you know, three to five times our body weight per foot strike, 
we need tremendous amount of strength mm. and stiffness in, in the lower leg and the ankle. Whereas to be able to push the pedals, you know, in a time trial position, we've got to be really strong coming over the top of the pedal stroke, but you can't use massive amount of weight. So you're trying to, you know, like, you know, doing a rear foot where your back foot is up on a bench and you're getting into those kind of those deeper angles and really hitting the glutes. And so those are two things that I've been working a lot on with really good, with really good results, because at the end of the day, you just can't take a broad brush approach. Um, it, you know, for any athlete, you know, except maybe in the very beginning, if they're starting from, from zero, but if you mm -hmm. do too much, um, you know, then it's going to take away, they're going to be sore. It's going to take away from, you know, they're swimming, biking and running. So you've got to run a fine line. You've got to do enough that's going to yield a result and it's got to be, you know, time efficient that it's not going to take away from their other stuff. It mm -hmm. can, can kind of live, but I put that on, you know, I've always had that as an equal balance with swimming, biking and running. So how much of it, you know, for me, I didn't personally spend a lot of time in, in the gym so much most of my strength work was done, you know, doing the specific exercise. So, you right. know, if it was swimming, I'd put a towel around my ankle and put a pool boy between yep. my, my, my legs and, and the, the, I preferred that over paddles or anything else. And then, um, you know, biking, you know, the big gear, like we talked about was just my, my staple, you know, whether it be 12 right. by five minutes or, or 20 by three minute, that type of work. And then running a lot of running straight up hills, or even I found yep. stairs later in my career, like stairs were just phenomenal. How much of that do you incorporate versus how much do you think an athlete needs to be in the yeah. gym or whatever? Yeah. They need to have that in there too. If you th so I, I would look at it as more, you know, look at it more like a, a kind of a strength endurance, you know, kind of a continuum. So you've got basic strength because when we're doing basic strength stuff, the funny thing is we think when you say strength training, people think muscles, but for an endurance athlete, a lot of the benefit is going to come from, you know, soft tissue, tendons, ligaments that mm -hmm. were fortifying, making them resilient because most of the injuries, you're not going to get them any triathletes, you know, pulling a hamstring unless they got really super weak glutes or something. Most of it's going to be some sort of overuse itis in nature. So there's a big part of that. So we have the basic strength and then, you know, you go into power, which can be, you know, move doing strength exercise, a little bit lighter, higher speeds that can then drift into, now we go into the more, you know, kind of specific endurance, um, which would be running hills, you know, swimming with paddles, vasa ergometers, bike trainers, hills. And so we got this whole continuum because we need the strength because a lot of, you know, you look at a lot of athletes, there's a strength component of it, whether that's specific on, you know, swimming, biking and running or general mm. are both necessary. Just so people can have some takeaways from this. Are there certain favorite specific workouts that you recommend for triathletes? You did mention the, the, doing the three-minute big gears earlier. Are there specific ones that you'd like over others, you know, hill, hill running or what? I, I, I like, curious. yeah, I, I like hills. I like hills and then flats afterwards because then you, you, know, you get the glutes and everything activated mm. and then run fast, whether it's, you know, one minute hills with either 200s or 400s afterwards um, or hills and flats where you run up a hill, actually did this the other day, do a hill rep, come back down and you have a flat at the bottom and then you run a minute fast flat and then come back. So it actually becomes, actually kind of is more like a fartlek type workout mm -hmm. because you, you're always moving, but you've got the hills and you've got the, the flat stuff in there, you know, bike stuff. I love using a lot of very, you know, gearing, you know, uh, different gears, you know, using low gearing, medium, high, because people get stuck. And then, you know, maybe swimming's the worst with that. People get stuck into a certain, you know, turnover rate, you know, and I think in swimming is we miss it the most because we're like, Oh, it's technique. I'm like, well, no, when you get tired, it all looks like crap. Yeah. Um, so I think in swimming, because most people come from, you know, a lot of certainly if you look at age group triathlons, many of them come from a non-swim background. So they're aerobically fit. They're just not muscularly fit. And, mm -hmm. you know, I always say like, you can give me virtually anybody, you give me half an hour, I can make it look really good for about 50. 
<laughs> and it's going to go downhill. So it's a matter of what are, you know, what happens under fatigue? Yeah. You know, what is your habits? You know, does your cadence slow down running or, or what happens on the bike? Do you go to a big gear and the cadence slows down? Those are the things that you start to uncover in someone's training. And then you start to, you know, put those into their workout so that they, they can build those capacities. How much of it, especially when we look at swimmers and people that start swimming later, uh, you know, I see all these swim coaches around the world trying to get them to have these super long strokes and all of oh, it. No. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but they're so tight and their scaps aren't moving and they rotate, you know, it's like right. how much of what you're doing is more about, okay, let's open you up as, as much as we can before I'll, we start yeah. adding any, any weight. Yeah. Less, yeah, less of it, actually less of it in the pool. I've kind of evolved the point yeah. where I don't do a lot of the traditional drills, but we're doing stuff like thoracic mobility work mm-hmm. because if you can't mm-hmm. anchor the hips and rotate at the thoracic spine, your elbow's never going to come up. It doesn't matter what you do. I agree. It's like, right. <laughs> if you're, so, so and then if you've, you said, well, you're, you're swimming with the shoulders flat in the water and you're telling the person to lift your elbow up, the only thing they're going to get is a shoulder impingement exactly. injury and get out of the pool. Yeah. So that's where, and I guess that's where it all crosses over. So we're looking at it as a whole and going, what are the things we need to do mm. to build into that? So that where you can do a lot of different type of exercises and some people maybe they need more upper body versus lower body or they've got muscle imbalances. And a lot of it starts with just basically what's their injury history? Because if you look at that, that's the first place to start because that's what they're most likely going, going to happen down the road as they start to train more and train more intensely. Nice. So, okay, let, let's look at this then. Um, when we think of triathlon, triathletes, there are a lot of triathletes listening. I'd love to sort of have a little bit of a layout, if we could, of suggested exercises, more looking at the rehab piece, because it feels like every triathlete, if they're not injured, they're, they're close to being <laughs> injured, right? And yeah, if we, yeah. you mentioned, you know, swimming internal rotators and that, that rounded shoulders. Okay, so let's start with swimming. What are some of the your favorite exercises to sort of get those shoulders back and, and, and work on the external? Any type of horizontal row. When you were saying at the beginning, like doing push-ups and pull-ups, my first thought is, oh, God, watch out for his shoulders because both of those are internal rotators. Yeah, yeah. So assume some sort of a horizontal row, whether that's with a TRX or a cable, but we're pulling where you're, you know, kind of your elbows are at shoulder level and you're squeezing that those shoulder blades. And we talk about, mm-hmm. you know, the scapula, the shoulder blades don't work. And so now... You know, if we kind of with even with a two arm, if we're going to pull, you know, pull that and squeeze those shoulder blades when you're coming back, you're yeah. controlling it, but you're going into a stretch, so you're actually kind of creating a lot of movement there. So not only is it a strength exercise, you're creating that scapular mobility, creating scapular, you know, range of motion. Thoracic mobility drills for triathletes are huge because swimming, cycling in an aero position, oh, yeah. sitting at a desk, driving, all are rotating. So. I think the best thing for that is just regular and, you know, at least daily, if not a couple times a day is just like foam rolling on the, on the thoracic spine get like the, you know, snap, crackle and pop because that's always in a flex position. And when that's in a flex position, it's going to put stress on your shoulder mm-hmm. and your back. Well, when you think of those, um, just leaning in on this a little bit more, the, the seated row type or the, the horizontal seated row, mm-hmm. is it single arm any better than doing both arms or is it not? Matter? Actually, I like say, I like, yeah, oh, I, I like single stuff because you get the added bonus of, you know, core stuff. So when people mm. say like, oh, do core or abs, I just go, I go nuts. It's, it's funny yeah. when, you, when you run a weight room, you have a certain culture, certain word, everyone laughs like, oh, don't say that word yeah. because you want to, because when you're doing a one arm, whether it's a one arm press or a one arm row, you're getting a lot of oblique work because the core stuff we need to do as endurance athletes is not creating movement with the exception, maybe a flip turn. 
But with cycling and running and even more swimming, it's eliminating unwanted movement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so you get that, you know, twisting. You can see it. And, and a lot of this stuff comes from, you know, anyone listening here in Claremont is going to get paranoid and see me out on the trail because it really, a lot of this comes from just observing literally hundreds of people every week when I'm out training. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think when you're a coach, you can't get away from it. You look at someone hip dropping and in my head, I'm already, <laughs> calcul- it's like Rain Man. I'm making the calculation. <laughs> you need to do this, you do this. And I'm like, stop this. But that's just, I guess that's just how I think. Oh, no, I mean, this, it, it's funny. We're, we're, our house in Boulder that we, we sold last year, but it looked out over one of the trails that everybody would run past. And Laura and I would just sit there and not judge, but you just couldn't help yourself and go, oh, the, that's off, that's off. You know, and you just analyze you analyze it for the sake of interest, not judgment. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like I'm not. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's the same thing on the bike. And, yeah. and I talk about this in, in the high performance aging. When you look at bike, you got people, you know, with a $10,000 bike and a 25 cent setup. They got them in this aggressive aero position that no one can, can ride in. No, no. You know, my philosophy with my athletes is like, if you can't ride for 90 minutes comfortably in your aero position, something's wrong. Stop it. We got to yeah. fix it. At the very least, you're not going to enjoy riding your bike. No, it's going to be awful. And so <laughs> let's talk about that with cycling because this is a big one. In terms of these days, everybody's pushing more and more for aerodynamics. And there's ways to become aerodynamic without being so aggressive. You know, for me, mm-hmm. I, I just lifted my hands right up and dropped right. my head in, right? And uh, But there's still, when you're talking Ironman, you're talking, you know, these are long, long times to be in one position. How do you sort of help an athlete with their strength and mobility to get in the most aerodynamic positions? What are some of the key areas that you work on? Uh, a lot of it's going to be glute stuff. I mean, as I talk about the scapula stuff is huge because when you're in a long period of time, you know, in that aero position, you know, you're kind of your shoulder blades are, are wanting to be kind of pulled, popped off of your back, mm. upper back. And so the rhomboids become real important to make sure they're flexible and then you can kind of create, you know, scapula movement to kind of just get blood flow in there. Otherwise, you're going to get that sharp pain right between the shoulder blades. You know, making sure they're in a comfortable position, you know, at their at their low back. You know, they might ride well, but if they can't get off the bike and they're hunched over and can't run because they're, you know, their uh, their hip flexors cramped up, the or you know, they, can't, totally... they can't or they can't breathe. <laughs> I see a lot of people in a position where you know their their, their diaphragm can't extend, so they short breathing. They get off the bike, they stand up, and they and they cramp up. And then mm. you know the other the other one is in the glutes. There's weak glutes. You become if the glutes are weak, they will tend to shift themselves forward. And just pedal with the quads. Hello, that that was me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I think we all started that. I mean, you do the same thing. I yeah. mean, you know, back in the day when aero bars first came yeah, out, we had road bikes. We shoved the seat. Yeah, we didn't know yeah. what the hell we were doing. We just were trying to figure it out. Yeah. But but you know, it's really like doing a leg press. I mean, it, it kind of set home. There was a, a really good. It came out the guy Niels Vanderpool, who would, mm-hmm. the 10k speed skater. He wrote kind of a, after the Olympics, he kind of wrote his manifesto and he's like, he's super into cycling and basically says like speed skating is nothing more than he had the number of how many strides, like so many single leg, leg presses. Yeah. Right. And if you think of that and bring it into a time trial bike, it's really the same thing. Mm. You know, it's just one, you know, one, you know, hard, you know, RPM after another, because you're riding in a time trial versus reacting, you know, in, a, in, in terms of pack racing and, and to that extent, I've had a lot of really good results and decreases of injury with using a mid mid cleat foot position. Interesting. We were a bit more like that as well. We get over the over the the cleat a little bit more. Yeah. And especially, you know, for Laura, one of her injuries that almost took her out of the 08 games was her cleat had been shoved forward by one of the um one bike fit she had, and that just put way too much strain on on just her planner and and all that fascial system of the lower leg. Yeah. And almost took her out. And even the great bike mechanic that we ended up having work with us later on was like, well, no, you're all set up to be a sprinter on the bike. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, but you're not sprinting, you know, you're not trying to win yeah. the, the final couple hundred metres of a Tour de France stage. It's like you're on there to to ride the bike and so we shifted everything back. So that's that's good insight. Yeah, they've got, even now they make these uh, really cool, you know, I, when I started playing around with this a few years ago, I had to, you know, drill my own shoes like to, to move the cleats back, but now they make adapters, which makes it easier so you can play with it. And I found it for master's athletes. I found it really useful to take stress off of their calves, mm-hmm. you know, you know, putting that strain on the, um, on the lower leg as much. A quick mini break to remind you to go check out any question. You can use anyquestion.com forward slash coach Tim or find it on iOS or Android. Any question. All right, mate. So how many, when we're talking about those single leg squats, is there any kind of way that you like them to be done? Yeah. Low, you know, low, low reps. I mean, I, I like somewhere between four and eight. eight. I mean, once you get above eight, you start to get into more hypertrophy and the load is too low. You start to get below four, the weight starts to get too high and you start to risk injury. Mm. Um, and I'm a big single, I love single leg stuff. I still do some bilateral stuff like a trap bar, trap bar deadlifts. I'm a huge fan of because that puts us into a, you know, really close to a, a cycling specific angle. Mm. But then I also like the single leg stuff, single leg, you know, split squatting to run angles or, or lighter and, and deeper into cycling angles. And, you know, I've been experimenting with doing those type of workouts immediately before I go out and do a hard ride on the road or on the trainer. And it's fantastic. I don't know if I'm going any faster, but I feel good. No, but how, how much of that is, um, you know, in terms of angles of movement when you're doing those exercises, is it very specific to the bike or do you tend to take those angles and, and, and go a little yeah, deeper? Yeah, I try to be as specific to the bike as we can without injuring someone. So, so a yeah. lot of what you notice, what I'll notice is a lot of athletes, we have to start with body weight and they're super sore, which is telling me, you know, their glutes are weak. Because if you think of it, most people, you know, in the, in the pedal stroke, most people are going to have their optimal power, let's say between two o'clock and four o'clock. Mm-hmm. If we can strengthen the glutes and maybe get them applying force at one o'clock or even one thirty, that's a significant amount of you know f- extra force we're putting in with every pedal stroke. I like that. It was um, Jan Fredino, you know, arguably one of the greatest of all time to do the sport of triathlon. Uh, you know, we both used to laugh because both of our glutes were pathetic, <laughs> and uh, and I know that he did start working a lot more on his glutes, especially as he got a bit older. And that has helped, although he, is injured, he was injured earlier right. this year. There's a reason why we get a lot of lower leg injuries if you haven't got the stabilizers right up above as right. well. I have my, well, with the bikes, with all that, with the glute stuff, I have my way to motivate just about any athlete because look, it, we can do this for performance reasons. Or the other thing is that, look, it, you're going to be running around in public in a skin tight <laughs> suit. So... Pick, pick whichever motivates you more. Either way, you're going to get you to do it. Vanity will always win. Yes, that'll, well, that's the last straw. No, no, if, if nothing else works, that will. <laughs> I like that. All right, run, running, um, you know, for me, the running injuries for the most part for triathletes, a lot of them just come from, in my mindset, from these tight psoas and hip flexors. Yes. You know, you're getting off the bike and it's got you bound up and you're not, elongated and you you can't get your heel down you can't open up the lower leg because your hips are so tight um so when you're dealing with running injuries achilles plantar fasciitis itb 
anything around that knee. You know, is most of your sort of thinking around the hips, or how, how do you you rehab Both hips? The, yeah, yeah, the hips and the ankle are really. Yeah. We, I do a lot. Of, like, I love using. You know, part of we we always use in our warm up stuff in our pre rehab work is is mini band stuff. So we're doing. You know, um, this guy uh, Cal Dietz out of uh, University of Minnesota does some really good stuff with what he calls glute reset work, and it's basically getting the glutes to fire. So when we do the exercises, they're actually working. Because sometimes you can do a lower body exercise. It looks like the glutes are working, but maybe they're not. Mm. So we get the extra work in there um, with the glutes. But the ankle, you know, ankle um, isometrics, which is where that, that ankle rocker exercise you were talking about earlier with the stick really starts to come from. It was a game changer. And, you know, what, what I've done a lot with strength and conditioning is, is I'll learn from really smart people in strength and conditioning, and they have no clue about endurance sports. And I just take the same stuff and bring it over and adapt it. That's yeah. really what I, what I do. And, and going like, this makes a lot of sense. And so... His spring ankle theory is just doing like ankle isometrics in different positions and or, you know building tension because when you think of like the you know if we look at the your your masters type athlete really any triathlete for that matter you know their foot is sticking to the ground they don't have that pop off the ground and that's a you know there's a stiffness but you still need to maintain mobility as well but you want to have that stiffness in the lower leg mm. um, because the fascinating thing is even in the foot so the foot and ankle I put together so I'm a huge fan of doing. Um, you know, strength training and, and other socks or bare feet to build those muscles up because that's your connection with the ground. And one of the fascinating things, which was a game changer for me when they said, like, if your foot and ankle don't work correctly, if you've ever had an ankle injury at any point in your career, the mechanics of your ankle might be off. And if that's the case, then the neural drive from the brain to the hip is going to be downregulated. Mm. And I'm like, wait a second. So all the work we're doing on the hips and stuff, if we don't take care of the ankle, might be for not, yeah. you know? And then you look at the knee, the knee is just a, you know, hinge joints are dumb like the elbow. They just flex and extend, mm-hmm. you know? If you have a knee issue, if someone has a knee problem, you should want to look at, you know, you look at the joint below and the joint above, yeah. you know, where the issue might be. So we kind of look at that as a whole and it's just a constant, you know, long-term progression. How do we do it better? I try to make sure when I'm doing this, I'm probably four or five months ahead of my athletes in terms of experimenting. And sometimes it goes badly and I get injured. Um, so you realize, okay, that didn't, but that's okay. I'd rather be me than them. Cause you're like, you start to push the limits. And I did yeah. that a couple of weeks ago. I strained something, my lower leg, all right, mental, okay, get a paper out, make a note. That yeah. was too much. You know, yeah. it might've been the weight was too much or my progression was too fast or stuff like that. So you start to learn that stuff. And, and that's just really, I find that's the most fun, fun part of it. Yeah, I'm a bit of a self-experimenter these days, but I still do the, the same dumb shit that I've done when, you know, 30 years ago, I was up uh, <laughs> at our corporate retreat, actually at Ed Baker's house and he had a pool there. And, and, and so I put his fins on for swimming yeah. and I'm, and you feel fantastic with fins, you know, I'm like barreling along. And so I do a few of them and come home and now my foot, Post tib, uh, yep. where it inserts on the side of your foot, there is just in agony, and I couldn't, I couldn't run or anything for two weeks. But that was the injury I always got whenever I did fin work. Posterior tib stuff is, is is by far what I see the most of. And one of the things that one of the things that I've, I've used the last couple of years, I think, is really really effective. Is one of those you see them in rehab. It's just a wooden like uh, it's adjustable, like a little slant board. Mm-hmm. I know the ones you're talking and about. And the reason for that is. To do fascial work. So the other big thing that, that I've been looking at, this is going to be the next big in strength and conditioning is fascial stuff. Yes. Because how yeah. it's linked. So what we're seeing is that when we're doing one of those single, you know, when you're doing those single leg isometrics for the ankle, when I'm doing that, I'm feeling it firing right through my glute. Mm. Do you realize how everything is connected? connected? And we tend to look at, you know, body parts, you know, push, pull, straight, you know, you yeah. know, chest press, lat pull down, you know, squatting. 
but everything is connected. Yeah. You know, that, and so that that's fascial how- system is unbelievable, isn't it? Like we, you know, Dr. Alex Keith, right? Who was yes. a chiropractor yep. for yes. the USA. And we worked with Alex. He's a very good friend of mine from 04 onwards for our career. And, um, you know, he taught us how to self scrape or what they call, yeah. you know, Graston yeah. is the term that they often use. But Laura and I brought Graston into our lives permanently I, I know I'm a, I'm a fan I've played I've, I've played around and studied it I've, I've done a little bit because you know if you can do it a little bit like anytime something starts to feel not quite right it can be hugely affected so when you say that like I had this great epiphany I might try it today it's like hey if I'm going in the hot tub every night for 10 or 15 minutes why can't I scrape my lower leg in there so yes. stay tuned like I don't know yeah. I don't know if the scraping thing is going to heat up and burn me but I'm like that's a great idea. So yeah, well, I'll, I'll let you know how that works. Well, out. I think when there's a bit of warmth there, that does help. But it's um, you know, we've, theoretically, <laughs> we, we've let. I mean, this is how I probably shouldn't even be sharing this on this this show. But you know, we we would always start with sort of tablespoons and and a bit of moisturizer mm-hmm. or whatever. We didn't buy all the stuff. It's for me that was all nonsense. I just you know, whatever tool Completely. you've got that's got a nice sort of curve to it that's not too sharp, yep. and just gently go over an area and either an acute area or do the the opposite side. I always found the opposites. Yep. You know, if if I've got a or peck, release the back or open up the peck yep. as well. But either way, it's kind of like it's usually the opposite. But then these days I, I often have to slip off my wedding ring and I'll scrape through my post tib or anterior tib or something as I'm running and be like, oh, instant relief. The fascia was just yep. a little bit locked. It was a little dehydrated. It wasn't moving smoothly. It's, no, exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's fa- It's like, and that's the stuff that keep, you know, it, for me, it's the stuff that keeps me going because there's always something cool. And like it blows apart everything you thought to be true. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, this is cool. Thankfully I, I find one or two of these things every year. And then that becomes the, you know, maybe the focus of things I'm really going to, you know, take a deep dive into, not just you know, very cursory, but like really understand it, read everything there is, who that's the people awesome. to talk on to, you. really no. understand it. That's a fun part. I'm glad you're going to do that. I, I think, um, you know, for us, we always looked at fascia as like being this elastic band that goes from your your little toe to the top of your head. And yeah. the, the, the ability for fascia to work as a, a recoil, you know, yep. and, and for me, if I was to say, what was one of my greatest physical strengths in the sport of triathlon was my the way my fascia worked as one yeah. as it, it was a little bit tight but with that i got this great explosiveness from it and this power that you talk about i think Not my agree. fascia generated more power than my muscles specific strength no i agree it's like people say well, that's why people say, i need to stretch everything has to be stretched stretch stretch it's like not necessarily no 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 it's actually all right to have it a little bit loaded <laughs> yeah we do that way i do that with basketball players everything's oh they're tight i'm like that's that's why they have a 42 to 43 vertical <laughs> exactly <laughs> no, it's it's true. Like, so, so we're, so we're going to make them more flexible and what's that going to do for them? That is their game. And you know, it's the same thing. Like, Hey, let's put, you know, you got a kid that's coming and he's a senior and he's a high draft, you know, he's going to probably go to college and then he's going to, you know, he's going to be in the a lottery pick in the NBA. Hey, let's put like, you know, let's put 20 pounds of muscle on him. Like you idiots. No, like, no, no. Yeah. You know, so, and that's a part of not screwing people up. It sounds good in theory, but the idea is like, you just got to think it through because all that force and stuff that's coming through there eventually is going to get, you know, so as I, as I say, it's all fun and games. So someone gets poked in the eye. It all sounds good <laughs> because our athletes, you know, like our computers don't have an undo key. No, you, you can't mess it up and go, Oh crap. Let me hit that and go back. It, it's done. Mm-hmm. So you better know what you're doing. And I think you put it right earlier where, you, you know, it's mobility over flexibility to some degree. It's like understanding, yes, you want to work with flexibility over time and, and, and work for leverage, but understanding how all these systems work together. The flexibility part of it, for, you know, for endurance athletes, for you know, triathletes or whatever, you only need as much range of motion as you need. You know, you don't need the range of motion of a gymnast. 
So if you're if it's if if your range of motion so for running, you really don't need you know that much. You don't need as much as a sprinter, but you need to have enough to do the things that you you know that you want to do. Mm. Um, anything excess might be you know might be detrimental. Same thing you know same thing with swimming. You don't have to be hypermobile. We got mobility and stability are two opposing forces. So the more mobile a joint, the less stable the joint. Mm. You know, mm. and vice versa. So it, it, like a lot of things, it, it, you got to you know run that fine balance between the two. Well done, mate. This has been fantastic. I want to I want to <laughs> move into we, we've we've done a fair bit on strength and I truly appreciate that because uh, I know personally I'm taking notes and it's all fantastic to, <laughs> to go over all of these things. I want to just do a little bit of a stint on, it's kind of a new segment I've started adding to the podcast and it's basically just called Opinions. And it's a bit of fun. It really is just yep, a bit of fun, good. but I thought we could dive into it. Um, okay, so the first one, who do you think would you regard as the top three coaches of all time? In endurance sports as a whole, or you can even look at other sports as well. I don't, I don't mind wherever you go. Somebody that you kind of three. I can do it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do endurance sports. Uh, you know, Arthur Arthur Layard. Oh yes, uh, thank would you. Be one. I'd actually put because he's a personal favorite of mine, Percy Cerruti. Ah, oh, Percy, the great Aussie. I read his, I read his books. I like the old stuff. Um, you know, and, and and Brett Sutton. Well done. Well, I think Brett. Um, he falls in that. Percy Serity group, like a lot of the work we did yeah. was all based around Percy, and uh, they're all connected. I mean, if you, when, if you, if you, although Brett has it, yeah, I read all of his articles and anything he writes, I will read. Mm. But when you look at you know Litter, Lydiard, Bowerman, yes. and it, you could have put him in there too. And Cerruti, there was a commonality. I did a year where I read all the top running coaches, and, and you start to connect and go, and you start to see the same thing showing up in multiple places. You're going. This is something needed to you know be important. Yeah, well, well done. And Arthur Lydiard for me, I do. <laughs> When, when Laura and I decided to coach ourselves in 04, boy, I did a lot of research on that guy and the way he, the way, the great. way he coached. So yeah, you've picked some really great names. There, mate. <laughs> awesome. All right. Moving on to athletes, greatest of all time athlete, any sport, Ooh. male, uh, let's see if we can pick out one male, from that one female. I'll give you one little caveat to that. You can't be, there's no wrong answers. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> there's no okay. right uh, answers. So. Depends, how far back, depends how far back I want to go. Yeah. But Mela, you know, I come from a soccer background. I, yeah. I guess I have to say Pelé. Nice. Oh, I love oh, he that shifted, one. Oh, he changed the world. You know, no, yeah. no one else, the people stopped a war for him. Well, look well, look at what he did with the leather ball too, by the way. These weren't oh, like- yeah, I love watching. I, just, I, yeah, I watched a documentary last year, the old video clips back in the 50s of what he could do. He would still be a great player now. Yeah. Female athletes, you know, you know, I'd have to say Katie Ledecky. Nice. All right. And the, and the reason for that is not just what she, you know, and again, I, I could probably even go with Michael Phelps as that as, you know, as well, but Katie Ledecky only because she brings it year after year and it doesn't matter what the meat is, yeah. you know, it's just a, you know, she, she, she's a gamer. She, she'll come out and, you know, it could be a, a lower level meet and she'll set a world record and hammer it just because she can. I love that. They're two great ones, mate. Okay. How about this one? What are your thoughts on the modern day super shoe that they're using in running right now? Yeah. or nay? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of an unlevel playing field. If you know what, you know, I, <laughs> I, I can't complain. I, when, when they first came out with them, um, you know, over at school, we have, uh, you know, a lot of the track athletes like Justin Gatlin and stuff trained there. So I got my hands on one before everybody else and it helped me in some races. But I, either we make them where they're accessible and affordable for everybody or, or we don't. Yeah. You know, I, I think gravel triathlons are a great thing. I'd love to go back where it's not about the fast gimmicks and it's just about the athlete. And, and running used to be like that. 
swimming is like that now. But get back to, you know, kind of the purest part of running if we can. But I don't know if we're going to stop that train. No, I agree. They're actually, they're quite incredible. I've actually, I don't use... um I don't buy the racing shoes because I'm not racing at all, but I've gone and just got this last couple of years started using the um, the Nike Pegasus. I think I'm just on the 37. I think they're up to about 39, but yeah. it's really allowed me to run on road and yep. concrete more than I ever could before the shoes before. And, the, and these... This is just the, the material. It doesn't have the carbon plate yeah. or anything else in it. Right. And it's just amazing yeah, you, how many more miles I can do without damage to the body. See? You yeah. might contemplate coming out of retirement now. Oh, mate, I thought about but, it. So but I think, it, you know, but to that end, <laughs> I, I think those shoes are great because if they allow people to run injury free. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I like and, that. And, and we've had this, you know, we've, we've got this running. It's, it's funny. It's like all this type of, these type of conversations. This is what it's like in my garage when Jared comes over because this is, this is the type of conversation we have all the time. It's kind of like, like, what if you really strengthen the glutes and the ankle and you use the shoes? Do you get a multiplier effect? Yeah, well, I think you do. I'll never forget. I, do, I mean, I do too. On. We got to test it out. But <laughs> I honestly believe you get more out of the rebound for sure. Well, I think I, I almost think also when you look at a triathlete with those shoes, not only are they running faster, but because the damage to the body from training yeah. isn't as much, they're able to spend more energy on the bike in bike training. And, and we're seeing an elevation yeah. in the bike performances as well. I mean, obviously there's aerodynamics and improvements in the way right. they're training. But well, and they run and they can run better off the bike. I just remember the first time I used those shoes in a race. My leg, my lungs would kill me. Like I almost like was running fast. Like, oh, oh, I gotta slow this down. Like my body wanted to run way faster than I was capable of, and I'm like, this is not gonna end well. I was oh, excited great. about it, but I'm like, wow, this really works. That, that, that's great. That's the first time I've heard that. I like that. All right, um, let's do this one. Triathlon predictions for 2022. Let's pick two events. Let's let's do Kona Ironman, men and women champions, and the World Triathlon Series champions man and woman Ooh. if you're up to date if you're not oh, well, up to date on these you can not worry i'm gonna go easy that i'm not yeah, i haven't spent as much time in that world as of yet but yeah yeah certainly on the iron man uh, you can't bet against christian Blumenthal. health mm. um and i think lucy charles barkley will come back and win and the reason I, w- I will say that is because she's had time off from the sport and typically when people okay you can't rule out yawn either if he gets healthy because mm. Sometimes these people race so much that when they get a, a huge chunk of time off, they actually sometimes can come back better and faster. No, I, I like that. I mean, both Jan and Lucy have had a f- testing few months. I, I actually wrote Jan just this morning. We were chatting and I, I wrote him and I said, you know, you've, you've had a testing year, mate. He wrote back and said, Greg, the year's going to be awesome. I've had a testing few months. And isn't that a champion's mindset? I was oh, like, I love that. I, I, you love that because in his mind, everyone else has like written him off. In his mind, it's just the it's just the opposite. I yeah. love. I mean, that's why I, I love the part where you don't see a lot. Like when people are injured, and I think Jan would fall in the category. You know, it, it's back in the days, and you, know, you remember before the internet when when athletes, you know, the season would end and people would go home and just train, and, and you wouldn't see on you know mm. Twitter and Instagram what people were doing. It was, everything was dark, and then everyone showed up at the race, and you're like, well, hey. I'm 2% faster, but is everybody else 5% faster? Exactly. <laughs> I, I miss been... that because you just go into, hi- and you go into hibernation, you do your stuff and you come out and just see, do I make the cut this year? Yeah. Where's everybody at? I think we, we almost share, you know, we almost you know, share too much information. And I think we, we did this as a joke back in, I think it was like 2010 as I had, a, uh, um, our dog was a retired greyhound. And just for, you know, just for joking, we, we attached a Garmin to it, the collar, and made him sprint at 30 miles an hour. And then we posted it saying, you know, Jared was doing some really good speed work. We posted the file. 
you know, and people are looking like, what, what's going on there? It's like, how silly. So maybe we, we, we created disinformation before it was a thing. <laughs> it's all nonsense, honestly. Yeah. It's all nonsense. All right. Um, how about we conclude with um, some rapid fire questions? And these, sure. are a bit, these are more fun than anything else. And I need, and I need some, another book. So one of them is going to be, the first one is, one book you would recommend? Oh, this new um, called Upstream by Dan Heath. What's that about? That is about upstream thinking is not, most people are, are downstream thinking. It's kind of a dry book, but the concepts are really good. Basically, it's like being out ahead of the, you know, basically solving problems before they happen. Oh, perfect. Cool. As opposed to putting out fire. So when you put out fires, yeah, so yeah. for example, as a strength coach, you see this all the time. I can't prove that the things that we did prevented X amount of ACL injuries. But we know when nothing happens that something good's happening. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So you're putting the right things in place as opposed to just like waiting till something happens and then you're looking like a hero and putting out the fire. Brilliant. Perfect. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm a big time audible reader these days because I, I, I listen at three times the speed. I, I, I fly through books at the moment, just let them wash That's over okay. me. So I'll do that yeah, one. But does it sound like, does it sound like chipmunks? No, it sounds awesome. And especially when I'm running now I can't go back yeah. to two or a one speed makes me feel almost a bit seasick or something. It just make, it doesn't work, but I'm writing that down. That's a, that's a good tip. Yeah, it's really cool. People, people freak out and go, you listen to three times. I'm like, look, I was at one times then I went to two times and I was at two times for a while. I was going to ask, did you go to two first? <laughs> yeah, and then you get to two and a half and then you're like, we'll go to three and three. But what was funny, I tried 3.5, which is as fast as Audible can go. And I was like, oh no, I can't do that. And then I went back to three and it was like, oh, that's very easy. And, you know, I get it. <laughs> I found the sweet spot. Yeah. All right. Um, two most used apps on your phone right now. Ah, two most used apps. Um, iFleet, heart rate variability, hmm. and Garmin Connect. Look at you, always the coach. Love it. Yeah. All right, what time of day? Really sheltered got- life. <laughs> I, I do social media when I have to, but I'm, I'm pretty resistant to it. No, I get it. I get it. It can be a useful tool. Yes, exactly. All right. what, what time of day are you most productive? Oh, morning. Yeah. First job you ever had. First job I ever had. How far do you want to go back? Full time job? Any job? If we go back. If we, if we go, yeah, I'll go to that. Let's go all the way back. Yeah, I was was a was the um, uh, a fitness director at a large multi purpose fitness facility, which had tennis and swimming and strength. It was a great learning environment. Oh, great! You've always been in this world, then. Yeah, I don't know anything. I can't do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> all right, which decade of music is best? Oh. 80s. Good man. <laughs> Actually, so it's funny. I was watching TV and I flipped into the channels and I saw Foreigner playing live and I like had to stop and listen to it for a few <laughs> minutes. So yeah, <laughs> I made my morning. Yeah, Laura's a huge fan of Foreigner as well. It's very American. I love it though. It is very cool. Greatest movie of all time? Rocky Two. Which one's that? Oh, that's the one where he won. <laughs> the first one he lost. So does he, he learn to get Apollo one. Creed? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, tw- you know, 12 years old. It, it probably got me into like training and stuff. Like he'd never seen that. I was, like, I was thinking about this recently, the Rocky movies and then, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and like Conan the Barbarian. He never, at that point in the eight, early eighties, you'd never seen people training in that stuff. It was just the most fascinating thing at yeah. that point. My, you know, uh-huh. and like a, a 10 or 12 year old. Yeah. I love it. That's great. I like those. All right, mate. Um, what's next for you? What do you got coming up? I'm going to do some races. I'm going to, you know, I'm hoping to do, I want to do challenge. Uh, I'll do the sprint up at challenge Daytona. I try to, oh. everything with Florida, you can, I like to race, you know, maybe once a month, about 10 times a year. Um, I like that. I like that because that way I can reload. I can no longer race several times a month if no. I want to try to race well. It gives me time to recover. Uh, another week and, uh, you know, I start to head back to, back to school and I, I love having my uh, two month 
summer off as a teacher schedule. It's like a sabbatical. It's when I get to work on other stuff, get refreshed and then Mm. get back at it. Very cool. Well, mate, I really appreciate you just coming on in this conversation and, uh, and everything you've done on any question, I also truly appreciate, you know, and for people that want to go check it out, honestly, you're there, you've already answered, I think you've answered about a hundred questions. Um, I know, much I do a couple of days, I've been, I've been working on doing some, some of the newer stuff on there of cropping and, yeah, you know, there's just some new features to, it's, it's now. funny, you're trying yeah. to learn some of the new stuff and try to, try to have interesting articles. There's always, I think there's always the, you know, kind of the, the patented first answer, but I was like, okay, what's the second answer? Yeah. You know, all looking, I've had, I've actually had some fun looking at what some, you know, when other people have answered it and then piggybacking on that. I've been doing a little bit of that and that I enjoy because now you're starting to create a conversation. I think that part, the answer by others feature. So, you know, you can have 10 of the world's greatest strength coaches all discussing, you know, what's the best technique for a seated row, whatever the, whatever the question is. And you yeah. can look through and look at all the answers by others and go, oh, okay. You know, and you get some different ideas and different ways of looking at it. That is one of the, my favorite features of the, the whole platform. But mate, um, yeah, and, yeah, and it's, it's a great, I mean, I, I learn a lot by being on there. Yeah. The other thing I'm worried about now is I wonder if I need to, I should send you the picture. I wonder if I, uh, you know, I got to erase, I got to erase this from my marker board, but I just like it seen up there. I might keep it. What's that picture? Oh, uh, it says Bennett podcast. Has been a goal of mine for the last year. I've always wanted to be on this show. Oh, mate, I'm so happy that we're able to make this happen. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we can tick that box. Uh, it's amazing, though, you know, in, 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 in doing that. I'm a big believer of putting things out in the universe and how gravity or whatever it is has a, may, has a way of attracting it to you. Do you know what I mean? I think well, that's, I had that, uh, it has been in the back of my mind. I remember like a couple months ago and I asked Jared and Alicia, I said, Hey, you know, when you think of it, send me Greg's, you know, Greg's email. I want to touch base and, and you know, I got some ideas and it might be good for a show and totally, you know, we kind of forgot about it. And then when you mentioned it in that meeting, I'm like, all right, he mentioned it. Now's the time. I'm so glad you did too, Tim. No, so I appreciate you having me on. It's just been, uh, it's been fun and entertaining. I just hope, you know, people listen, they might get something out of it. Oh, absolutely. And and look, the gratitude's all mine, mate. I've, I've truly appreciated this time just to be able to sit and be entertained and learn so much from you. So I really appreciate it. And for everybody listening, um, you can go follow up questions and ask Tim questions at anyquestion.com. And you can find Tim on there. He's already got a bunch there, but uh, you can ask him more questions there. You can also find all the show notes, timestamps, links, and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon. <laughs>